The mountains are like a second home to me. From a relaxing weekend getaway to a trip to a museum, there seems to be limitless amounts of beauty, information, and innovation teeming around every corner of these stony landscapes. That's one of the reasons why I joined this podcast, to learn more about these systems and deliver it right to your ears. I'm Eric Tanner, and you're listening to the Canadian Mountain Podcast. In this episode, we'll talk about incorporating both Indigenous and Western-based research methods in Canada, and why they're so important. And to explore this, I'll be talking to two experts from the Canadian Mountain Network, and what some of their work looks like. But before we begin, I'd like to take a moment to appreciate the land that we work on, and the people we work with. The Canadian Mountain Podcast acknowledges that our conversations engage with diverse knowledge holders who live and work on unceded lands and treaties 1 to 11 of Indigenous peoples. We also recognize the historical and ongoing oppression that many different cultures, lands, and nations have continuously faced within Canada. We hope to continue our work to help decolonize, change, and inspire media platforms to further collaborate with Indigenous peoples through storytelling and partnerships. Did you know there are thousands of different research methods used in the study of our mountain systems? The mountains are some of the most untouched and pristine habitats in the world, and are witness to some of the most intensive and diverse methods of research in the country. In the study of mountains and their ecosystems, there are a variety of unique ways to examine everything surrounding these rugged formations. The predominant method used in scientific study has centered around Western methods of research, which have been practiced and refined since the Enlightenment era. However, Indigenous methods of research have often been underappreciated, and in some cases, even excluded in the investigation and examination of mountain systems. But this notion is changing. That is what we will be tackling on today's episode of the Canadian Mountain Podcast. Our first guest, joining us from the Northwest Territories, is Leon Andrew, a Shutagotane elder with the Tulita Dene Band. Yeah. My name is Leon Andrew. I live in Norman Wells. I was born and raised in Toledo. I'm a mountain dinner. And, um, and um, I'm, I'm a member of Toledo band members, Dene band members. And currently I just do a little bit of work with Glenn in, 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 in um, Helping him with the tradition and all that and stuff on his work. Also joining us is Glenn McKay, the Territorial Archaeologist and Manager of the Northwest Territories Cultural Places Program. My name is Glenn McKay. I'm the uh, Territorial Territorial Archaeologist with the Culture and Heritage Division of the Department of Education, Culture and Employment with the Government of the Northwest Territories. I'm also a research associate with Aurora College. Um, I'm speaking uh, from my office in Yellowknife Northwest Territories, which lies in the Chief Dry Geese Territory of the Yellowknife's Dene First Nation. I met up with Glenn remotely 
and Leon over the phone to talk about their unique methods of research and why incorporating the two are vital to the study of mountain systems. So I was just wondering, how do you explain what traditional knowledge is? How do you explain traditional knowledge? And for yes. me, for me, like, uh, it's a way of then, uh, then uh, being then growing up on the land. You learn from the land, and you learn from the water, the air, everything. The whole nature you learn from, from that perspective. And traditional knowledge in those terms, for me, you know, on the land traditional knowledge and human traditional knowledge, everything's combined. But traditional knowledge means to me, it's a knowledge system that the Aboriginal people indigenous people use for generations and they, they learn to survive off the land without without difficulty. I see. Can you tell me about your work and what knowledge systems or traditional knowledge is that it employs? Well I'm here. For me, for me, my, my traditional knowledge is based on the Mackenzie Mountain Range, central Mackenzie Mountain Range. That uh, my grandparents and my my father and so uh, whatnot happened grew me in those area, and from 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 that you know we learn about ways of um, ways of and tools that they they used to hunt with. So that's what um, I can go that far and maybe claim can fill in the rest. Sure. Um, so our. Our Canadian Mountain Network project is called the Shudagotne Cultural Landscape Project. And like Leon said, it takes place in the homeland of the Shudagotne or Mountain Dene in the central Mackenzie Mountains of the Northwest Territories. And our project has two components. So we're trying to create detailed records of special archaeological hunting sites that may be at risk of um, climate change related landscape changes like uh, increasing forest fires and and the uh, melt of alpine ice um, so we've been working at at wood fences that were used to funnel caribou and sheep towards kill sites and also at alpine ice patches um, where people hunted caribou in the past um, the other component of our project is to compile information on Shudagotne geographical place names um, which we hope to move forward to become official place names in Canada. Um, so Leon and I are leading this project together. So we, I think we bring both Indigenous and Western perspectives and technologies in the way that we're trying to interpret how some of these hunting sites worked. How have different knowledge systems or traditional knowledge impacted what you do? Leon here. For me, uh, I learned that working with uh, uh, the archaeology, as I have learned a lot from them how to do the work. And as we, like I said, we provided uh, knowledge about the landscape that uh, Glenn mentioned. And there's um, certain landscape or just natural, natural um, formations so that hunters can use those landscapes to, in their advantage. So that's what I, I find it very, very good to be working with. I see. Sorry, as a researcher who's not from the 
the shoot a goat in a homeland um well, i have very little experience with the landscape and the animals and weather patterns and travel routes and and things of that nature and um, whereas uh you know leon's traditional knowledge um is the result of you know countless observations of and interactions with the land and the animals and their knowledge that's shared over many generations so i think when we come to one of these hunting sites uh you know leon's knowledge really helps us understand things like why was the hunting structure put where it was and it, you know sometimes it was because it's close to a mineral lick or um or it's along an important migration route but also um how did the structure work with the local topography so but i think another thing that i've learned a little bit about from working on the land with Leon and other indigenous elders in the Northwest Territories is also um, how to conduct research on the land in a respectful way. So for example, leaving offerings or, or paying the water when traveling on the land, um, as well as leaving offerings when we remove samples from archeological sites. And you know, I think I've also learned a little bit about how to conduct research um, in a safe way as well. Um, from the traditional knowledge that I've, I've that's been shared with me in terms of uh, traveling safely and and understanding um, understanding the weather and how that can impact our work on the on the land. Why do you both think it's important for listeners to learn about indigenous knowledge systems and traditional knowledge as well as Western systems and traditional knowledge? For me, again, Leon Andrew. Why it's important for a listener to to see the ways of uh, the indigenous people how they make their homeland um, the way they understand it. You know, the land is has provided for our people so much, so much over generation and generation. And 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 in today's world, we we do have we do have new way of doing things. New way of doing things, and so much of our indigenous people voice sometimes not being heard in the decision making. So, so true. We're through explaining, expressing landscape and caribou and caribou habitat, and moose habitat, whatnot, whatnot. People need to know that those important areas, so decision can be made upon from from people that are potential to do other kind of work they want you know so those can be visible to the nations you know we we, we do it in respectfully to, to the nation's needs i think that's why we need to voice ourselves more mostly. so has there been adequate recognition of indigenous knowledge systems from western standpoints in your opinion well, in, uh, in the past little while, when I say a little while, you know, we've been, in here, at the territorial level, we've been working uh, with uh, doing some work, not work, but, you know, what we call the water strategy. Like for Mackenzie River Basin, you know, there's waterways. And they started recognizing the traditional knowledge. Uh, so, so that's good, and I think we've been pushing to use traditional knowledge um, in decision making in the in the, in the form of 
uh, when you, let's say, for example, maybe the, um, the, the wildlife, you know, in decision-making, you know, TKs uh, become valuable for, for the government. So we've been playing, using a little bit of that information from the Jenna perspective. How has the Shutigodne cultural landscape projects implemented Indigenous knowledge systems and uh, traditional knowledge? Well, if you're if you're asking about an archive and stuff like that, we we have a, we we did a lot of a lot of work on in that area. For example, you know where we're talking about landscape. We hope that uh, we can document uh, our story through the landscape on mapping project. That uh, hopefully we get we get we get that done. I think that'd be good for us. I say that in a good way because you know the land's huge, and you know there's only certain places where where uh, you'll find some some good harvesting um, potential. So. So if we need to document those um, that I think it will get, I think we will get there through that uh, message. Other than that, you know, the school system maybe they do document language and they're trying to document language. They there too it's taking a little while, so same for us too, getting there slowly. Uh, in what ways are indigenous knowledge systems and traditional knowledge being successfully implemented in research studies? The one we the one we're working on is with, uh, with uh, my colleagues here, Glennon, the former uh, buddy, what's his name, Tom. They did uh, the uh, ice patch work in Mackenzie Mountain. This ice patch is back in 2005, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, um, they started doing that, and and that one, that one, they did. Pretty good on that. Found a lot of lot of arrowheads. We found some some uh, wooden shaft too, and that that was something that uh, told the story about the Shutagotina, and and the, with the help of our, our researchers, they helped us uh, identify um, those uh, arrows. What kind of it may have been one time due to the fact that it's kind of kind of worn out a bit when by the time you pick it up. But anyway, that was that was a really good documentation they did for us. So yeah, there is a book on that too. If you want to speak on that then if not, if then you're okay, then I'll just carry on. Okay, yeah, that yeah. book is called that book is called Alp Hunters of the Alpine. And I think Glenn may have a copy somewhere, and I have a copy too. Yeah. So that was a really good document that that you know it, it meant a lot to to the school in Toledo. They they shared with the school kids, so I think they they learned a lot from that. And so my next question is for Glenn, and so it's what has your experience with implementing indigenous knowledge systems been like? Um. <clears throat> Well, I started working uh, in the Northwest Territories in in 2005, and uh, I've been been fortunate to work with with many of the uh, indigenous communities in the Northwest Territories, 
and so it's just it's been a a real uh, a learning process for me in terms of um, working respectfully on the land and building um, relationships with with uh, elders and other people in the communities uh, to work to work in partnership and and you know I've just I've learned so much about how to think about archaeology and indigenous land use and and those sorts of those sorts of things from just being able to to uh, experience the land with with indigenous elders with with people that have lived on on that land for generations and uh, so it's really it's really over the years um, created a you know help to form my perspective on on how to think about uh, the archaeological record of the Northwest Territories. How have you incorporated both Western and Indigenous knowledge systems or traditional knowledge in your archaeological work and protection? Um, well, I think all of the projects that we do at the Prince of Wales Northern Heritage Centre, where I work, um, they're done in partnership and collaboration with with uh, with indigenous communities. Um, but I thought that I could provide an example from the Shudagotne Cultural Landscape Project um, in, into how we're incorporating uh, traditional knowledge into interpreting some of these hunting structures that we're working on. And um, some of the hunting sites uh, like the fence sites and the ice patches um, that were probably used over and over again for hunting, um, and in some cases to harvest a lot of animals at once. Um, one of the puzzling things is that we don't really see evidence of this in terms of big deposits of animal bones uh, near the fences. And you know we do find caribou bones at the ice patches, but they all seem to be from like natural wolf kills. Like none of them have evidence of human butchering and that was that, that was kind of a real mystery to me um because i would just think at these sites that were designed to hunt a lot of animals at once and and uh um and that were used over and over again there would be all of this archaeological evidence of of caribou bones and sheep bones um but when, when discussing that with leon he he told me about the importance of keeping these kill sites clean and that you know if you butchered an animal in near the fence or on the ice patch the blood that was left behind would would probably prevent would prevent other animals from coming back to that site so it would be a less productive um, hunting site in the future so so what was you know what was happening was that people were were moving the moving the bodies or the the animals away from these hunting sites before they were butchered so that that's just an example of of how um you know working together and uh was able helped us to really interpret what we were seeing at at uh these archaeological sites why do you believe it is important to include Indigenous-based knowledge methods or traditional knowledge into Western forms of research? Leon here. Why I believe it's important 
I think, uh, you know, the the history of the Dene people need to be known up here, especially in the north. You know, from ourselves, I don't think many people know that we exist. So when when we when we document and and find find a way to to have our voice heard, that that there is. And it needs to it needs to get out there that we know we do exist up here in this big country, and we still do. And uh, it's always good to to have a partnership like them to come and help us look at some of the artifacts to 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 understand more about our way of life, how we existed from generation to generation prior to European. Those are very interesting uh, uh, findings. If you would, you know, people need to know that. I don't think people do understand that or know that. From my perspective, thank you. Yeah, having said that, uh, again, yeah, you know, just this summer coming, you know, it'd be a hundred years since since um, our people signed treaty with uh, with a new newcomer into the countries. You know, there's a lot of history. Thank you. What are some ways Western knowledge systems might have helped the use of indigenous knowledge systems or traditional knowledge? How it help us? Yeah. Well, yeah, sometimes that's very hard to uh, interpret it because, you know, those are your, your questions kind of uh, written backwards for me, your sentence. And so we're kind of um, trying to figure how 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 Western science help us. Yeah, that's an interesting question. How would it help us? I think we identify. If we come to uh, uh, artifacts and stuff like that, Western science really help us identify the history of an area that people have existed one time or another. And they even go as far as looking at some of some of those um, sites. They estimate how long it's been there. So I think the Western science has has helped the indigenous people a lot. So moving on to our final topic, which is bringing both indigenous traditional knowledge and Western knowledge systems together. So my first question is for both of you, and. It is what lessons have each of you learned from working together while using both knowledge systems, Western and traditional knowledge? Uh, Leon here. Our knowledge, our knowledge is very different, very different from uh, Western Western researchers, science. You know, we can use them both, but it, like I said, to interpret them and, and breed them together, that's really hard to do. Because we do things side by side, like, you know, similarity, but you know, one is ancient, one's new science. Pretty hard to put it together, but if you work with both of them, you know, you can achieve a lot of things at, at, at a time like this when the weather is I mean, climate change, for instance, for example. Um, is there any work that still needs to be done by Western knowledge systems to incorporate? traditional knowledge better? And if so, what is it? 
Yeah, well, like, uh, earlier I think I said, you know, uh, we're trying to we're trying to incorporate our our system into into uh, into the the system of uh, of the government. And we're still working on it. You know, we're still we're gaining, but it's kind of slow. So once we once we we do that, but I think this word this might be helpful. You know. What do we do on the land? Like the project itself, like Ren and I, are are, are challenging. Put that into, uh, together. Put that the landscape, document the landscape, and the story will come out of it. And and the caribou fence, the story will come out of it. I think that will need to well, go. I think our people need to find a way to um, incorporate that into their story and then take it to the archive with. Uh, museum for for safekeeping. I think that's one way of doing it. That's something I'm hoping to see happen. And myself. Okay. And just before we conclude, is there anything that either of you would like to add? No, I think that was good. Thanks, Eric. Yeah, Leon. The final one is thank you so much. Um, mm. Everything. Here. Everything help us, you know, if a question like that remind us that, you know, we're doing what we can to help our people up here is very important for me. Especially with the science, I was the help of the science research, really good for us. You know, the time has changed, like I said, you know, we need to work together and find out more answers out there. And thank you very much again. That was Leon Andrew and Glenn McKay two mountain researchers with two distinct methods of study. The two hope to continue bringing together both indigenous and western methods of research in their study of the mountains, strengthening the bond of these research methods and furthering our knowledge of mountain systems. Thank you to our guests, and we hope to continue discussing mountain research and why these diverse methods deserve our attention. That's it for this edition of the Canadian Mountain Podcast, in partnership with Mount Royal University. Thanks for listening. This podcast was produced from Treaty 7 territories, of which is immersed in ancient culture and storytelling. With the Canadian Mountain Podcast, our goal is to share both Western and Indigenous ways of storytelling, and we give appreciation to the stories that have been told on this land and shared through generations. Therefore, we give acknowledgement to the hereditary keepers of these lands, the Nitsitsapi Blackfoot, Stony Nakoda, Sutana, and Métis Nations. I'm Eric Tanner, and special thanks to show producer Ethan Ward. Be sure to join us again for more stories surrounding mountain places, whether that be in our own backyard or from across the country. Share and subscribe to get the latest updates on the new season, and be sure to tell your mountain-loving friends and colleagues. You can find us wherever you find your podcasts, and you can learn more about the Canadian Mountain Network at canadianmountainnetwork.ca.